You have tuned in on DX Talk. Navigating the digital experience industry. Your hosts for today are Lasse, Ulette, and Jonas. Welcome to DX Talk, navigating the digital experience industry. Today we have the pleasure of uh, having you as our guest, Thomas. I had uh, the pleasure of uh, meeting you a year ago, where you pretty much blew my mind on uh, on on your perspective on uh, on the digital experience industry. Uh, and since then, I've uh, I've been following you on uh, on LinkedIn and, and and in other places, um, where you've uh, you've been one of my inspirations in relation to getting uh, perspectives on on a lot of things in in uh, in the industry. So really, really happy uh, to to have you on today. Thanks for that. Thank you very much for having me. I'm looking forward to this talk. It's definitely a pleasure, Thomas. Could you perhaps, for the listeners out there, give us a little bit of, of uh, background uh, to you and your experience with the industry? Uh, sure. So I am. I I have a technical background. So I was originally a developer. I've done uh, web development from sort of the late '90s. Um, done a lot of strange things in my career. Uh, but I started off as a as a developer, then sort of became a technical project manager. Went uh, went off and did uh, uh, education and training in the developing world, building wireless networks and things like that. Then came back to to the digital uh, experience world uh, uh, as such on the agency side. Uh, worked with the classic large uh, Scandinavian content management systems, uh, including Sitecore, EpiServer, Umbraco, um, and then. Um, Took a little stint on the client side. I became the director of e-commerce at Bang & Olufsen, built a sort of composable headless e-commerce engine there, then did something similar for a very brief period at uh, Hilling Anas, a, a Swedish bed manufacturer, before returning to the agency side where I'm currently CTO at uh, Noah Ignite uh, Denmark. Um, and I also, so professionally for the last eight, 10 years, have worked mostly on the e-commerce side of things and uh, a lot for the last five years uh, on sort of composable architectures. Fantastic. Thomas, um, from from my perspective, uh, it would also be great if you could perhaps give a little bit of uh, context on uh, Noah Ignite, uh, give us a little bit of insights into your current employer. I will do my best. So uh, Noah Ignite, the Noah part is uh, North Alliance. So we're part of the North Alliance. The North Alliance is a, a Norwegian uh, network of agencies, including uh, ad agencies in Denmark, that's Anco, and uh, digital identity agencies, bold um, data analytics agencies, and, and digital development and design agencies. Um, the the NOAA Ignite is the digital development and design uh, branch of the North Alliance. And in Denmark, uh, we are sort of the 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 remnants of what was once called Hello Group and Great Works that merged and then became NOAA Ignite Denmark. Our, our sort of historically, we're very strong uh, customer experience, user experience house with a very strong profile, a very strong process in that. And then we have a tech team that is uh, obviously my remit uh, to do development uh, across digital platforms. Um, I think one of the things I usually say is is we're 
uh, one of the reasons I, I'm here and I enjoy being here is we're a pure headless um, house. So we're very modern in that sense that we don't have legacy platforms. There is no Epi server, no Sitecore sites we maintain. It's all headless on uh, modern um, CMSs and, and e-commerce engines. Um, on the CMS side, that's primarily Sanity and Umbraco and uh, on e-commerce engines, that's primarily Centra for fashion sites and Commerce Layer for what we call custom commerce. So anything that's not a standard commerce layout. Um, about 60 people in Denmark across uh, UX, project management, uh, uh, data and technology. So we have a pretty strong um, you know, customer data, MarTech, branch and then development and development is largely uh, JavaScript, Next.js, React, uh, both on the front and on the back end with a small .NET uh, capability as well. Thanks, Thomas. I think a pretty straightforward segue from that explanation. You mentioned that the reason you work for Nordic Night is because of your complete headless approach. Perhaps uh, you can give some context on why that is and, uh, and what you prefer. Uh, we know you have, that you have some some strong opinions on uh, on on some of the the topics that we've already covered in this podcast series, like Mac uh, composability, uh, DXO, DXC, and so on. Maybe you could g- give a little bit of uh, yeah. your perspective and perhaps also your position on uh, some of these things. Uh, because if I were to teach you a little bit, uh, I would call you a bit of a a, a purist. Yeah, I mean, um, I'll take that. Um, <laughs> I, uh... I'll, I'll I'll take that moniker. I think the 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 it's not so. I, and I think this is important. So let me start by saying this is a complicated topic, and it's important to say that I'm not in any way advocating that that the sort of the headless composable approach is always right for everyone. Um, I'm advocating that it's a strong candidate for a certain type of of development project, and that I think um, having sort of a purist approach to that is good for our clients. Um, so, so when we go into a project and we decide that this is the right way to go, this is, you know, it's good to have partners who have a strong focus on that way of building things. Um, there's a couple of points on why uh, sort of this direction. I mean, one is, you know, we came out of a world and I've built my share of, as I said, EpiServer and Sitecore sites, um, where it was sort of acknowledged that every five years we would, we would replatform. So either there was a major version upgrade that required essentially rewriting a lot of the code, or we would simply switch platform because the platform we'd chosen was, was no longer sort of uh, living up to the requirements of the business. The That obviously is sort of an expensive way of building sites, but more importantly, it sort of forces a, a period of non-innovation. So, so while you're replatforming your system, it's very hard to build new features. You're typically doing a one-to-one move that can take, uh, you know, anything from six months to eighteen months. In which period, it's very hard to innovate. And and my feeling is that we're for a lot of companies and a lot of brands, we're in a world where that the consumer expectation moves faster than that. So, so that's one side of it. So what really happened is as as well in parallel is we have, you know, these monolithic systems. And we sort of were we we bought into them with the belief that if you bought that system, it could do everything you needed. But very quickly, you realize that that probably isn't the truth. And you were start you know add a search engine, a product recommendation engine, uh, 
you know, uh, CRM solution, each of those would drop a cookie on on the front end and and have a separate data store in the back end. Um, and that has a lot of sort of negative consequences, uh, but it also just means that your architecture is complicated anyway. Um, and now we're sort of in a world where a lot of the developer tooling has gotten so good that it's actually viable. So I think one of the things I, I tend to say is it's just easier now to integrate five, seven different platforms with open APIs than it was five years ago. And it's probably easier to do that than to maintain a large system with which has five to seven plugins. Um, again, that's not to say that that's right for everyone, but at the same time, we've got this sort of uh the google the, the google era of seo which just ba basically means that that for the last 10 years page speed has been sort of an overarching religion and and with the tooling we have around um cdns from companies like Rosella and netlify it's suddenly really possible with very simple uh, devops pipelines to build super responsive headless systems that can be you know statically generated they can be server side rendered client side rendered I, you just have a lot of tooling in your toolbox to build the best combination of customer experience and speed um, when when you when you work in this way I will also acknowledge that you know these are in often cases complicated architectures and 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 you know have some cost around that as well. I think that's a great uh, explanation for your position, Thomas. And I think it's pretty difficult to actually argue against that. And I also know that uh, because I've heard you uh, do a talk be before, that a lot of uh, of this position and, and perspective also comes from uh, your background with, for example, uh, Bang and Olufsen. Uh, could you perhaps? Um, Shed some light on 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 that and and some of the learnings that uh, that you did there, the the pitfalls and and things to consider for someone uh, considering to uh, to go for a composable setup. Yeah, so I think when we were, I mean, first of all, there's nothing new in composable architectures. People have been building systems this way since, you know, at, at least since I started building web applications, which is pretty much since web applications were 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 built. Um, it's just that you know. Um, over time, we aggregated more and more functionality into single systems. That gave some huge advantages on the what we call the employee experience. So the editor side, uh, if you have a single tool that can do everything, but gave some then you know some disadvantages on the developer side, uh, the speed of of development, and also on 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 the front end essentially um, because you're working with templates. You're you're I, I used to say, you know, one of the big problems with monolithic CMSs are they're very bad rendering engines, and yet we're using them for rendering because all of the content rules and, and the rules about how pages are built are deeply embedded into these systems. So then came sort of this Jamstack headless uh, revolution, I think is a fair way of calling it, and and everyone started building headless systems and and uh, and pulling this data out of APIs. The, the natural consequence of that being, you know, if you do that, then the argument for having everything in a single box is less. You know, the 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 if if the CMS doesn't control the layout, but the layout is is rendered separately from a from a headless uh, setup, then a, a part of that advantage of having everything in the control of the editors goes away anyway. Um, and now it's the, then you know it's realistic to start building with smaller backend components the the challenge of course being that you have to get that data into the front end from all these different systems you're using in the back end um, and i think in the early sort of 
days when we built the Bang & Olufsen site in 2018, for example, the tooling just wasn't very mature. We, you know, you didn't have Netlify Fiverr cell that those those powerful systems were were in their in their early beginnings. Uh, they were not sort of at enterprise level typically. Um, so we so we ended up building quite complicated systems with you know three or four backend systems, and then the front end would be the one deciding what data comes from what API. At, at which point you start getting a very complicated uh, front-end application. So you're sort of moving your complexity into the front-end application and becoming more and more dependent on front-end developers. Um, and really also breaking the editor experience to a certain degree. So the, 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 the price of that extreme speed was very complicated caching, very complicated uh, you know, API management layers. And that you know breaks the the editor experience uh, to to some degree. You know it, it becomes complicated. We're talking about going into an e-commerce engine, tagging specific products with specific tags, then hopefully tagging your you know your content blocks in your CMS with the same tags uh, at the, you know uh, across the the language models and across the markets, and then hoping that it comes out right on the front end. So so I, I think that was. Um, the situation for a while with these systems. I think we've gotten, there's a lot of new players in the market. We we're in a place now where there are many, many sort of companies experimenting with different data models that, that are solving, you know, trying to sort of find a good compromise that ensures that both the developer experience is top notch, which is necessary for us to innovate fast. The editor experience is top notch, which is necessary for us to guarantee the customer experience. Um, and sort of the, the, um, Customer experience, obviously, the front end is 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 still, you know, super fast and and engaging. So, do you think, Thomas, that uh, we are at a point now with the technologies available where it's possible to cater for for both? Uh, definitely, I think you know we're we're in a place where if you, I mean, given uh, so, and and I I think that the difficult part is that the right solution. So we're in a, in a place where we can cater for both for for any sort of set of requirements, but it's not one standard solution for any set of requirements. So there's what there is is there's a sort of heavy onus on the company building it to find out what's the right balance for them, what's the right level of freedom uh, for their editors, what's the right level of sort of developer uh, freedom matched up with a lot of other things, you know, in terms of governance and compliance and, um, you know, the brand expression you want, how strict do you want that brand expression to be maintained? Because the the, the realities, the the trade-offs we're trying to hit are not going away. I mean, every, every system design, every system architecture is essentially a huge list of trade-offs. You're sort of saying, if I want to give my editors absolute freedom of, of expression, then that comes at a risk of, you know, breaking the brand experience because the editors uh, have have the ability to sort of put out essentially bad content, bad visuals. If I want to give no freedom, then I have full control of the brand. It's locked down, but there's no innovation. So I, I think it's important to remember that these trade-offs are not static. And they're not the same for every company. So if you're sort of a pharma company with heavy compliance, you might have different needs than if you're sort of a small brand startup that wants to experiment its way into to, to trying fun stuff. So, so, but that said, I think for every for every scenario, there's there's a possible uh, optimal um, trade-off set that you can build, and and the tooling is flexible enough that you can often get there. And Thomas, you've been heavily involved in e-commerce projects as well. So 
Where do you see e-commerce move in terms of composable setup? Uh, so what we're seeing, interestingly enough, is is in, in the, e I, the e-commerce space is interesting when we talk composable. Composable can be used as an architecture in non-e-commerce setups, but it has additional value where you have multiple content sources. So uh, it doesn't have to be a commerce setup. It could be a company that has, you know, uh, different teams maintaining critical content in different systems and you want to bring that all to a single front end. It's just that in con in commerce, that almost always is the case because you have product data, you have uh, customer data, you have sort of classical content from a marketing perspective, and you need to combine those on a, on a front end. So th th that's that sort of sphere is, is easy to use as an example. I think what we're seeing, for example, now is we're seeing companies like uh, Commerce Layer out of Italy have a commerce approach that is absolutely content free. So they basically say they don't deal with content. They deal with orders and transactions and SKUs and your content needs to be built somewhere else. So, so that could be, you know, in a CMS down to the level of them suggesting that you model product data directly in your CMS. So you consider product information as marketing information or as content. And, and, and that that's, that's one, set of trade-offs where you're basically saying all our every piece of data that we're showing in our front end belongs in the CMS. That's, you know, and that's an interesting approach and that's fairly new. We're seeing the first implementations of that. Uh, then, you know, in other, uh, you know, on the other side, you see composable setups where all your product is controlled in your e-commerce and you're just enhancing uh, your, your content framework with the CMS. Thanks for that uh, explanation, Thomas. It's definitely enlightening to me. I guess for me, being the non-technical person here, um, if I was a business owner uh, and I was looking to figure out what to do and, and so on, I would assume that based on what you just explained, that it, in order to make a, the qualified decision based on your business requirements, you would uh, need someone to guide you unless you have a, an in-house team that are extremely gift, gifted. Would you say that that's a correct assumption? Uh, yes, I think certainly. I mean, I think... <sighs> We have to take this with sort of a grain of salt, since I'm obviously biased being a, in an agency. But I think there's definitely you've been on the other side, so I guess I've been on the other side, and in those cases, I've also leaned on agencies. I think there's a there's a level at which, if you want to sort of um, get the benefit of the, I hate the word cutting edge, but the forefront of of technology development it's often a good idea to lean on agencies because we obviously get are in touch with more projects. We see more different ways of solving the same problem. We go through multiple iterations. And, and so I think there's a lot of experience that can be used there. I think one of the real challenges of composable uh, architectures is that there's no sort of single reference architecture. You can't take like, the, the, the advantage of the old days when you had a system, and which is still the case if you do something like Salesforce Commerce Cloud or or, or even Shopify, you, you sort of have a reference architecture. You just do it the way that everyone else does it. And the, the downside, of course, being if you do it the way everyone else does it, you get what every, everyone else has. And if you're a company trying to innovate and differentiate on the on the front end or, or on specific processes, then that's probably not good enough, um, just getting what everyone else has. So, 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 yes, I think, you know, leaning on people who've done this multiple times, going out and talking to companies that have tried this and, and, and getting their experiences as well. Um, so it doesn't necessarily have to be an agency, but sort of getting a broad set of experiences 
matters a lot. Um, and then I think there's a critical thing here that you have to, I mean, one of the things that we're, that this also represents is I, I usually say we're going sort of from CapEx to OpEx and now it gets a little bit financially technical, but I mean, we used to do these big investment projects every five years and then you would invest uh, X million in your new platform and then you would have a maintenance fee for the next three and a half years. And then you would go back to your CFO and say, oh, I need another X million to, to, to replatform. And we have to mentally think of it differently now. So the, I, I much more think of this as sort of an OPEX way of working. You're sort of at a fixed cost level. You have a, a, a team or an agency with a fixed uh, team partnership that constantly develops, which also is sort of the the a way of thinking about putting things into the world is, you know, because you're hopefully building in this way where you can replace smaller units, um, you don't have to be as right. So I used to spend a lot of my time doing vendor selections. You know, you could have companies pay agencies, you know, literally millions just to do a vendor selection process because you had to get it 100% right because it was everything, every feature you were going to use for the next five years. And in this world, uh, if you think it correctly, you can go about it differently and you can build it gradually and you can maintain it gradually, which also means if you if you're not 100% accurate on your editor experience, you can also change that. So it's not just the customer experience. You can think of editor experience in the same way as you think of customer experience and develop it over time uh, in, in sort of a, a more operational investment uh, form. We've seen, we're seeing clients now. So, I mean, one example is we're seeing clients on e-commerce, for example, that have a, a composable architecture. And, and the first analysis was, okay, you know, when we do a product list page, let's have the content management system do the sort of a text module in the top and some images in the top. And then we list all the products that comes from the e-commerce engine. Then, you know, at the bottom, we, with the content management system, essentially decides the, the, the footer uh, text. Um, and then, you know, over time, they're like, well, it would be interesting if every fifth uh, product block could be a piece of content instead, say, you know, a user generated uh, content block with Instagram photos or some, some campaign, some merchandising content. And, and so then the natural step is, OK, well, if we want to do that, let's move the entire listing of products into the CMS as well. So you give that level of control to the editors that they can say, you know, product, 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 product user generated content and 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 so forth and so some companies are moving are going in that direction um because they want more fine grained control of the the experience really and the and the editor experience as well so you could do this same thing by overriding something in code in the e-commerce engine but then it's not part of the editor experience then you're degrading the editor experience back to what I was talking about before, then you have to get the tags right and the different systems or file, you use, you know, file naming to get the, the images right, or you can move it into a, a system like a, a CMS. And on the flip side, if you're a big retailer that has hundreds of thousands of SKUs, you're probably not going to want to do that. You want to go, you, you wanna audit, you're going to want to automate more of that because it's just not manageable uh, in other ways. And, and you can optimize for that as well. Talking about uh, technology, um... And you say you are a fully headless uh, company. What what about things like Mac? Is that something you have an opinion on? Oh, I have a lot of opinions on Mac. Um, uh, 
I mean, a, let me start by saying that sort of the terms composable and Mac uh, are often sort of used uh, as sort of replaceable uh, terms. So, and, and in that sense, I think that's fine. Um, if you sort of look at the definition of Mac, it has uh, the A and the C and the H, the, the API first, the cloud native and, and the headless are also sort of fundamental criteria of Jamstack. They're fundamental criteria of really any composable architecture. I don't think you can be composable if you're not API first. Um, I generally say if, if the API is not documented on the public website, we're probably not that interested in the system. Like the, the, that, that's sort of, but then there's the M and the M is a little bit different because it's a microservice. Uh, uh, it stands for microservices and microservices to me, I'm, I'm sort of old school. So microservices come with a very clear technical definition of what they are. They're supposed to be, you know, small self-contained units that have everything in them to, to, to function independently. Um, and I think for, for a developer of a commerce engine or a developer of a CMS, it might make sense to build the, your system in microservices. But for us as an agency and for our clients, there's really not much value in discussing microservices. You're probably not going to, I mean, if you're very large and need something super scalable, you might build your your custom business logic in microservices, but that doesn't seem like a necessary requirement for getting the benefits out of composable. Uh, so I think that's the way I, I look at it, that 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 microservices as a feature for for sort of custom business logic, which is really what our clients, what, what sort of the clients that implement composable build are only for very rare and very large uh, scale scaling requirements. Um, so I think that's my sort of take on it. Uh, and, and the Mac Alliance is obviously sort of a, a, a group that, that assembles companies that, that live up to these requirements. Um, and they're sort of, they're so, so yes. So I think that's the, that it becomes too specific of an architectural term for my taste. Yeah, but that's a really uh, nice uh, perspective. In our last call, uh, we had uh, Bart Omlo from Concia uh, with us, and uh, they are uh, fairly close uh, involved with the, the Mac Alliance. Uh, wh wh what do you think about uh, tools like uh, their DXO slash DXE? Uh, is that something you use, or do you code uh, everything yourself? Yeah, so that's an interesting question. So we have a partnership with Uniform, which is similar in... in uh I mean, I guess, and feature sets as as Concia without sort of that depends on which level, how many deep, how much deep you go into details because there's big differences as well. But, but I think the 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 way I want to say it is it's it's important in a composable setup that we think a employee experience into it, and b that we try to uh, simplify dependencies between systems, and in some cases. That, so and and by the, by that I mean you know if there's a lot of uh, synchronization going on behind the scenes point to point synchronization you're moving your PIM data into your e-commerce engine into your POS system part part of it into your commerce system into your ERP system and you're trying to keep all that synchronized in in a in a workflow that's a lot of complexity to add to your system and 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 trying to sort of de sort of decomplexify that by by having a sort of separation of concerns is is important um i think 
depending on your setup, there are so that there are that role can be important for sort of a DX uh, DXO. So the so the the sort of API orchestration and separation. So you can have tools like uh, Octu, which is another partner of ours. They do uh, essentially just that. So they do just the, the API orchestration part of it, which is sort of a a visual tool to say I have you know fifty five backend APIs. I can aggregate those in specific ways to make a custom API for the front end I'm trying to build, M meaning the front end developers have a much easier time. You're improving your developer experience, uh, but you're also essentially adding some some uh, separation of, between the backend systems rather than doing point to point integrations that can have great value in and of itself. Then uh, Uniform specifically also adds an editor experience, um, which is sort of a visual editor experience uh, and I think that's important. You know, I think having editor experience on your list of things you're optimizing along with customer experience is important because we're talking about not what does the system look like when we as an agency deliver it to you, but what it's what is it going to look like 24 months, 36 months after. And 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 the, the tooling around that is is critical. So that so then some of these tools also add uh, editor experience. And is that worth it? Well, I, I, that comes back to the specific trade-offs you have as an organization. So if you're doing what I said before, if you're sort of if if you really only have let's say one major channel in an e-commerce store and and you're building content but you're building content for use in other places so you want to reuse that content in in your app and and on in your Facebook apps and stuff then um, and your editor experience is mostly about building your web page and maybe it's better to just move all the sort of core data, including product data, into your CMS, and you're solving the same problem. You're giving a very so let, let's say it was Umbraco, and the editor has to only be an Umbraco. Then you're essentially solving the same problem. Now, if that's not a solution for you as a company, um, for and that can be for various reasons. It can be because you're you're you have multiple front ends. You know, you have commerce in your app, and you have commerce in whatever you know the. the Google speaker or voice interfaces or, you know, in different channels, then the complexity might get so big that that's not a solution either. And then you're, you know, looking at it and lifting your editor experience in with tooling that can bring in data from multiple sources can be super valuable. Um, and then there's, I mean, that's one, that's one way of looking at it. And then there's a set of features that, for example, Uniform brings around personalization and A-B testing that may be valuable in their own right. So if you're, Again, if you're sourcing content from multiple sites, you want a good editor experience, but you also want those editors to be able to A-B test and do personalization in a visual interface. Well, then you need to look for tooling that can that can support that. And, you know, back to the very earliest point of it doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't necessarily, Composable doesn't mean you have one tool, one microservice for every single feature. It can be a bundle of things. And I think if you look at it and Uniform or Concha happens to bundle three or four things that you think are valuable in your in your context that add value on the employee experience side or 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 the developer experience side then yeah it makes sense but it's not I, I don't think it's in all cases um, and but the more complex your setup is the more likely it is that 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 makes sense I think you pretty much established, Thomas, uh, why a composable setup makes uh, sense in a lot of uh, cases. I'm going to give you five, ten uh, seconds to think about this question. But if you were 
if you were to boil down uh, what you just explained on to a dumber level, and, and I'm the the dummy here just for the record. For example, if you were to explain a, a new client that are not familiar with the composable terminologies and and all these things that you very ele- elegantly uh, discussed, uh, could you perhaps give us your best take on a short explanation of uh, composable and why that is something to consider? Um, have some time to think about it. That's uh, completely fine. No, I mean, I think there, the, that's a very good question because I think it depends on who you're talking to. So I think there are, you know, there's a there's a more technical angle to it and there's a more, you know, business angle to it. Um, so uh, let's uh, start with the business angle. If you were to explain a, a business uh, out there, what Composable is and why they should choose uh, it in a very simple simple way, how would you go about that? I mean, since I do that a lot uh, in my day job, <laughs> I can say what I usually start with uh, is is the the sort of replatforming discussion. So, so the composable is a way of building digital systems that hopefully gets us away from a cycle of having to replatform every five years with the sort of loss of innovation that 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 takes. And that's sort of the simple uh, road in, and the way it does that is by having you know having m- multiple smaller units of functionality that are easier to replace um, over time so if you need if you build an e-commerce system and you need to add product recommendation you can add in product recommendation if you need you know better search than the cms gives you out of the box you can add a search engine that 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 improves it if you need better order management you can add an order management system to the stack and expand that functionality there i think that's the sort of cleanest way of of explaining it simply from a business perspective. There are a lot of other angles, but but that's that's one I like. Um, mm, it resonates with me, Thomas. So I think you've su- succeeded. Thomas, I would like to know more about your approach to building commerceable, composable commerce architecture at Noah Ignite. How small pieces do you break a commerce project into? That is an almost impossible question to answer because. We build it down into parts based on the the requirements of the the specific solution. But I would say, you know, I I usually say you always and it, when we build something we for commerce we always have a commerce engine and a CMS. That's sort of the core. Uh, and then, depending on the commerce engine and the CMS. Um, we we would then add sort of a layer around that and the lay and 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 i think from a for from a sort of corporate commerce perspective the way i look at it is you need to take care of a certain amount of i i, I look at it from a data centric perspective so there's a certain set of data that you need to know what how how you're handling and that's uh you know customer data it's product information it's transactional data and it's sort of content, marketing content. And then there's sort of a fifth box, which is analytics and insight data, which can sometimes be handled separately, sometimes overlaps with the customer data. But but you need a perspective on, on all those systems, on all those data types. So I think you need exactly the number of systems to, to handle those data types uh, at the requirements level you have. So I can give an example. So we work with Centra, where, which is an e-commerce engine specifically targeted um, vertically at the fashion industry, fashion lifestyle industry. So they have a data model that's very good for, for for those products. They have a lot of features specifically for that market. Because they do that, because they 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 specify in that way a specific market, they can be broader 
in their in their scope so they can handle product data they can handle transactional data uh, so order data um, and they also can handle customer data if you want that and then we have a commerce layer which is you know an extreme composable solution in the sense that they take care only of order data transactional data that you have to get your product data from somewhere else you have to get your content from somewhere else you have to put your customer data somewhere else essentially and if you use that because you want more control, then you're going to need some sort of CRM or CDP for your customer data. You're going to need some sort of PIM for your product. or could be straight from the ERP. Um, so I, I don't know if that explanation makes sense. Uh, so there's always CMS and a, and, a, and a commerce engine, and then you can sort of start layering. And in the, in the sort of middle layer, you can start layering for all the different data types. And then on the front end, we typically, I mean, very often you would have a product recommendation engine and a search engine, and they can sometimes be the same tool, sometimes they're different. Um, and a CRM system, of course, is, is you rarely build commerce without also having outbound. Uh... It makes very good sense. And of course, it's not possible to draft out a general commerce architecture as this varies based on customer requirements. But I mean, however, I think you your data type approach comes close to a bit of a reference architecture where you need to know how to handle these data data within a commerce architecture and where these data's data then are handled depends on the vendors you use. Uh, what do you think we will see more of in the future within commerce architecture? I mean, I think really as as and this gets pretty specific but as developer tooling improves so as we get better better and better tooling for you know devops so for deploying uh, code but also for 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 building these solutions um it's easier and easier to integrate more systems so i i think we're going in a direction of seeing more specialization like uh, uh commerce layer is a representative of so tools that take care so we've seen it on cdp uh, levels that are tools that take care of your customer data and all your customer data. Um, we're, we've seen it less on product data and uh, and transactional data, but I think we're going to see that as well. So, so let's say um, moving away from the paradigm where you have your product data that starts in your ERP system, it needs to go to your e-commerce system and your POS system, and then you put in a PIM essentially because your ERP system is not flexible enough. And now you're sort of stack, uh, stacking on top of each other's systems just to handle product data. I think this sort of type of specialization of tools that will that are flexible enough to, to really feed the front end directly, but also have enough governance to be the central database of, of of product in a company, that is, is something I think we're going to see more of. I, I think, you know, Commerce Layer is a good place to start if you want to look at what that looks like, because they've, they you know, if you call me purists, I think they are uh, uh, even further purists in the sense that they've just said, um, we're going to be the best at handling order data, transaction data, and we're not going to start building features to handle product data. And and uh, customer data and all these other things that are typically in uh, an e-commerce engine. I have so a question less- here in that regard, Thomas, and sorry for interrupting here. Uh, do you think, um, and this is a little bit to cater for those listening in that might, be, might not be as uh, as experienced as you within the industry, do you think that, uh, speci- that, that that specialization will make it easier for you or more difficult for someone uh, out there trying to figure out what uh, stack they should compose? Um. 
I th- I'm sorry for interrupting you again, Thomas. But, um, because one of the things that we've discussed uh, uh, internally um, and, and a lot is uh, how difficult it sometimes is to figure out what the right thing is and also what uh, does the different uh, things mean, both from a technical and a business perspective, which you've touched upon uh, very elegantly, in, uh, in my opinion. But as someone trying to navigate the digital experience industry, um, what is your take on that? Mm-hmm. I think for right now, it's obviously adds complexity that you have some tools that handle a broad set of, of, of data types and some tools that, that choose to specialize. The, the truth is, if you, if you look at the more specialized systems, they, they, are, they become closer to sort of a set reference architecture because you have to use them in this way. So in, in, in some senses, you're sort of, you're, you're sort of putting down a, a very clear architectural ruling, which is if you choose to go to that direction, all your transactional data should go into that system. And that system needs to be flexible enough to handle that. Um, and, and the same goes for customer data and the same goes for, for, for content as we, as we discussed earlier. So I think having that purity of architecture is ultimately going to make it easier. I think what we're seeing right now probably is that those fairly narrow systems are are less mature because they're newer. And that means right now you could argue that it can be more complicated because it's it's a little bit harder to put that puzzle together correctly. Um, I do think that, that what we're going to see in maybe not in the next couple of years, but that is, you know, a clearer architecture for building these types of systems where there is a clearer separation of, of, of uh, concerns in that sense. I, I mean, this gets a little bit detailed, but you have something like Commerce Tools, which is probably the biggest sort of composable commerce engine, and they've done a great job of separating their APIs. So you can use them in this way. So you can you sort of deal with transaction data in a one set of APIs and customer data, another set of APIs and product data in a third set of APIs. In most e-commerce engines, those there are dependencies. So really, you know, the, the transactional side doesn't really work if your product data is not also in the e-commerce engine and, and commerce tools has done a reasonable job of separating those APIs. Um, so it's, it, so I, I, the point I'm trying to make is it's not necessarily that each tool will only handle one type of data, but that in an architectural sense, there's a clear separation of concerns and it's easier to make a decision to say, you know, our transactional data is going to be in this system. And ultimately, you know, if you have your, if you've made the decision that your transactional data is in your commerce engine, then your POS system should also be pulling out and entering transactional data into that that system. It shouldn't be a separate database of transactional data because now to do omnichannel, you're now starting to back to the point-to-point synchronization and and, and coordination. And I, I think we're going to get better tools for that. And we, we're seeing them already uh, that, that are simply better at separating these uh, these different uh, data sources and we'll see better, you know, skills on the agency side. I, you know, I, I can, you know, give myself a little criticism, you know, the agencies also need to catch up and understand that this separation really ends up with more flexible, simpler systems at the end of the day. Although, you know, initially they can be more complicated. Uh, tools are only as good as you are at using them, uh, right? <laughs> So we actually uh, we're actually nearing the end of the time that we set up for for this this podcast. Um, do you have any more questions for Thomas, uh, Les, um, and Buletta? 
I think it was uh, really nice uh, talking to you. Uh, some uh, really insightful uh, uh, thoughts on uh, yeah digital experience. Uh, yeah, so I'm just uh, happy. So I only have uh, one question, uh, Thomas, but I'll also let you uh, have the chance to ask us a question if uh, if you have any. Well, I mean, I'd love to hear what uh, what Umbraco thinks of all this and where you think you're going in this uh, in this respect as well. Yeah, we do quite a lot in this uh, area, and uh, yeah, as uh, you already work with Umbraco, you know that we've uh, done quite a lot on on the headless uh, part. Uh, so I think we really align uh, rather good with you, and I foresee us uh, doing uh, way more on uh, on this uh, track uh, in the future. Yeah, and from from a commerce perspective, we are also very uh, looking into the headless. We just released uh, an Ubraco Commerce Storefront API, and and very excited on how people will take this and use use it in their headless uh, commerce projects. And besides that, we are looking into improve uh, how we can make Ubraco Commerce deliver some good conditions uh, for the different approaches on product and content. Um, Umbrago Commerce out of the box treats uh, product as content, so we also need to figure out how we can improve um, this supporting separation of concerns and different data types, just as you uh, articulated so fine in this talk. Very cool. Thanks. Yeah, so the last question I have for you, Thomas, uh, is sort of the, the roundoff of, uh, of this, and I think you put forward some some brilliant points, and, and I know I've already uh, sort of asked you uh, this question, but uh, if you were to give your five cents for someone trying to, to navigate the, the industry, what would your recommendation be for them? Uh, it could be simple, or you also um, free to elaborate. Um, wow. Um, I think the, 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 the short answer is probably, you know, uh, look at, look at what, uh, what's happening in terms of, uh, new builds and the way people are using new tools. So like looking at something like Concha uniform, uh, commerce layer. So, so if you, well, I mean, this is, this is my sort of approach is trying to look at the types of systems that are getting a following and sort of that are being talked about and that have clear vision as well, and then trying to figure out how that fits together. So, you know, Concha, Uniform, Commerce Layer, uh, Commerce Tools for that matter, a lot of the Mac Alliance tools uh, are, are are very opinionated in different ways and very clear on their vision for for what an architecture looks like. So, so trying to follow that and then, uh, you know, um, go to uh, go to some conferences. Look what uh, what companies are doing out there that are building with these tools. And 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 I mean, typically, if you reach out to to people on uh, either on the agency side or the customer side on LinkedIn and and ask, you know, if they have any learnings, most people are willing to share because we're all sort of trying to. I mean, this is also the thing. This this space is evolving so fast that we're all really in a constant learning process of, of what's the best way of doing it. And every time we finish a project here, we think of what we should be doing better next time. And, and you know, that's a great place to be, I think. Definitely. That's uh, also the reason for us starting the, the podcast to, yeah. to get some perspectives on that and, and hopefully continue on this learning journey together with the listener. Because uh, as you mentioned, innovation is ongoing and I think your innovation on an ongoing basis remark is, uh, is really cool. So, Thank you, Thomas, and thanks for jumping on uh, on with us here. We really, really uh, appreciate that. So, thank you. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Thanks for listening in to DX Talk, navigating the digital experience industry.